Asian Pop Nation on Sin ninety point seven. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation on Sin. You are here with your EP Jesse, where you just heard a couple of tracks, all of which from K-pop artists. You first heard ISTJ by NCT Dream, and it is from their third full album of the same name. And before that, you guys heard a jump by Mirai, and it is from their fifth mini album. On our show today, you will be hearing from our extended cast of APN hosts, including Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, from Tracy. Um, Ethan. Hello. And Zenya and. Lisha and Lee, both of which are not currently here while I'm recording this intro, but you will be hearing from them, and we will also be talking about some very interesting things. Starting off with the new Barbie movie, and if you guys have not heard, the Barbie movie is the hottest thing around. <laughs> um, you may have seen people walking around in hot pink outfits,、um, attending cinemas in flocks. But basically, me. Tracy, Ethan, and Zenya all watched the Barbie movie, and we would like to share some of our thoughts about it. We、yeah. would like to share some of our thoughts about about it, and we will also be speaking with Zenya, who, which you may have heard in past segments where she was able to join the recording,、um, about her holiday in Japan.、Uh, yeah. We will also be running down or sharing some of our thoughts, and by we I mean mainly Tracy and Ethan and Alicia. So Rolling Stones recently released this article of sorts where they listed down the top a hundred most influential Korean tracks, and yeah, Tracy, Ethan, and Alicia have some thoughts they'd like to share about that.、Um, we will also be well, Alicia and Lee will be talking about Matt Healy. <laughs> And some things that he did in Malaysia that screwed up some things for other people. If you're curious about to, what those things are, you will have to tune in to find out.、Uh, we will also be talking about the Melbourne International Film Festival, which is happening in August. And Ethan will be running down some of the movies that he is very interested in seeing and may not be seeing because they are sold out. But、um, we will be running down some of those, and hopefully, when they get a theatrical release, you guys can check them out as well. And you're listening to Asian Pop Nation. You heard "Colors IDC" four times by Mickey, and a life featuring hoodies, "Summer Breeze," because you know what is breezing through theaters, at least in the northern hemisphere,、um, as they're enjoying summer and we're enjoying. It's freezing winter.、Uh, you guessed it. It's Barbie. So hi Barbie. Hi Ken.、Um, hi Ken. Which is really perfect for hi <laughs> Tracy. Hi Ethan. <laughs> hi、uh, Jesse. Did you go、um, to the theater dressed up in pink? Well, I did because I went with you, Zenia. And you had a great blue and pink、together. puffer jacket on. And I had to dig through my closet、yeah. to find something that was brighter, pink, because all my stuff is like dark blue and green. How about you two? Yeah, I dressed in pink. I mean, it was nice to see that there were so many people in the cinemas、um, mm. for once. Like we, I went to watch it at、um, Nova, which is in Carlton,、um, and it was very packed. There were so many people, and they were all in pink, and they walked that little 
pink carpet thing and everyone was just having a blast. It was nice to see that cinemas are back. Um, yeah. There was a pink carpet? I think so, yeah. There was like a whole like pink Barbie shrine outside and you could like pose with all the balloons and stuff. I think it was really good. That's crazy. Like I hadn't thought about it. Like there's been so many movies, so many Marvel movies even, and none of them have have managed to drum up as much excitement as Barbie. Why yeah, especially with stage four Marvel. It seems like Barbie is is the savior of cinema, at least this this time. Um Oh, I guess people just trusted Greta Gerwig and the marketing team did a very good job. They did such a good job that they almost single-handedly did all the marketing for Oppenheimer mm. as well. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day about um, that was interviewing the head of Mattel Films, Robbie Brenner. So she was previously an American producer. She started, She did a lot of um, indie movies like um, ba- Dallas Buyers Club. Um which was like small indie movies. They take a long time to make and get funded and stuff. So she was, um, I guess, selected to be the head of Mattel Films because Mattel, the toy company, is looking to put all their IP into movies. Um, So if you guys don't actually know, there are about 14 movies that Mattel are planning at the moment and a lot more in development that they haven't announced yet. So everything from Hot Wheels, Masters of the Universe, Viewmaster, Uno, Polly Pocket, so on and so forth. So yes, we will be getting a lot more of these movies. Um, I think it's interesting Tracy says that about Greta Gerwig because I think what Robbie Brenner is trying to do that a lot of IP projects have not been able to do um, is focus more on like creative vision and like a creative director that has a specific personality when it comes to filmmaking, um, which I feel is what a lot of the bigger IPs like the Transformers or Marvel or DC... Um, are struggling with at the moment. Um, So I think that's an interesting thing that Mattel is going for. Um, I will be curious to see what the Viewmaster and Uno movie will be about, though. (laughs) Oh, God. Is it true that Tilda Swinton is going to be in the Uno movie, or is that just someone, like, lying on the internet? Because I can't imagine, like, Tilda Swinton is playing the Uno in... Like, how do you make an Uno movie? I was just going to say, it's going to be a lot harder to make a movie about Uno and I mean I can see Hot Wheels perhaps but yeah like Polly Pocket the other IPs if you thought a Barbie movie was going to be hard then Mm. (laughs) imagine doing it ones that already have a series of animated films behind their back yeah what do we think about the movie guys (laughs) oh yeah movie the Barbie movie you know that movie you all watched yeah (laughs) yeah so it was pretty pink it was really pretty I loved all the sets. The mm. sets were gorgeous. They were all like Greta Gerwig has talked a lot about like um, authentic artificiality in some of the interviews she's made about the movie. And yeah, it is like very. It's not trying to pretend that it's anything other than a sound like a soundstage, but it is such a gorgeously painted soundstage with like real sets, and none of it looks like CGI. It's so pretty. It reminds me a lot of those like old like, soundstage musicals from, like, pre-World War Two, which was something I did not expect to, like, see going into this mm. movie. Yeah, and I think a lot of people that did grow up on Barbie um, will also enjoy seeing that there are so many, like, homages to previous, like, everything from, like, the sets to, like, the outfits to different Barbie versions or Ken versions. Um, I think it's really interesting how they pay homage to that, um while also giving it, like, a bit more of a contemporary spin to it. I think it's really good. I 
already knew I was going to like it because Greta Gerwig was attached to it, and I really like Lady Bird, and I love Liverpool Women. So I also knew that it was not going to be what I think a lot of people, maybe not knowing Gerwig's work, expected. Like, oh, it's just going to be another one of those live-action adaptations of some kind of existing idea. It's going to be okay, or it's going to be like somewhat enjoyable, maybe like Mario Brothers or something like that. But yeah, it was. It had a, a good message. It was really funny. I think it's gonna. If it hasn't already, you know, created a wealth of memes. The soundtrack I thought was actually um, pretty good and cleverly used at some point in the movie. Um, yeah, but I, I also think that while it was like an enjoyable ride, I enjoyed watching it. Um, I think perhaps the, there was a lot of plot threads that were happening at one time that I wish um, was covered in a bit more depth um, or maybe one or two were the main focal point at times but I think that's more going into spoiler territory but overall I think it was just a lot of fun to watch it in the cinemas with friends and with strangers just in pink cowboy hats and boots. Um, Barbie, Barbie was definitely a lot of a lot of fun and I think deserved that title of blockbuster hit. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a block. Like so many times, I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe believe this very, like what I thought was going to be a very safe blockbuster. Like I can't believe they went there. Like, like the fact that all the like Mattel, the company, appears in this movie and they're not shown in like let's say the most flattering light. That was one of my favorite parts of the movie um, because they're so like strange and cartoon there. No, yeah, I agree with Xenia about Greta Gerwig's direction of the movies. I think she is one of the best directors working at the moment. And she's certainly one of the strongest um, directors when it comes to, like, um, movies with a lot of, like, a lot of feminist ideologies. Like, I think people who like this movie and like the themes that it discusses would really get a lot out of watching Little Women. I think that movie is really great. Um, And it's such a good exploration of what, Greta Gerwig has to say about like society and feminism in the contemporary age. Um, leave it to the one guy in this segment to talk about <laughs> that. But yeah, like feminism, it it was really interesting, and I love that she brought her very nuanced perspective um, to something like Barbie. Because obviously, I don't think the movie would be as strong as it is without Greta Gerwig. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I really wasn't expecting this movie. I feel like it was really targeted towards like 30-year-old women. I felt like I feel like they would sort of get the most out of it cuz I thought it would be aimed at either like like a cuz I think the rating for this is like PG. PG. Yeah. So I thought it would be sort of more aimed at like a like a piece of Pixar movie is mm, more aimed yeah. at like a audience. But this doesn't this didn't feel young at all. I think that you probably I'm not sure if it's a great idea to bring your children to this movie. I'm sure mm. they'd like it, but like mm. they won't understand the movie. Oh yeah, the casting of Ryan Gosling. Oh my gosh, can we? Yeah. Can we talk about? <laughs> so Ryan Gosling has been like on the not on the rise, but like he's very popular among like males for the whole like literally me concept because he did Drive and um. Blade Runner. So, like, he's gotten, like, a following from, like, a lot of, like, men. Because they're like, <laughs> wow, he's literally me, guys. So I love that he's casted in this movie so that people can be like, wow, he's literally me, and then realise that he has his own, like, he has a lot of character development in this movie. And I feel like it is very, like, important for a lot of people to watch this movie. I think it's really good. Yeah. 
Gosling is a joy in this movie. Yeah. You can mm. see every single cog in his brain creaking as he like thinks about what to say. Oh, it's so great. Like mm. every single line is delivered perfectly. I think it's funny you mentioned that like how Ryan Gosling has that association with guys as like he's literally me. Yeah. I feel like a lot of guys who think that will look at this movie and be like, I think he's literally me, but it hits a bit too close to home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> To the point where I think they'll start being in denial. No, Ryan Gosling isn't me. Um, <laughs> um, at least his, his Ken self. But you know, guys, your Kenoff is fine. Um, I really want that shirt. <laughs> yeah, same. I think it's awesome. So another reason we're also talking about Barbie is because our favorite K-pop group, Fifty Fifty, uh, actually made a song for the movie in the soundtrack. Um, it wasn't played on the movie for legal reasons that we will not be getting into but we will play the song anyway so it is 50 50 featuring carly uh, with their song barbie dreams hello this is asian pop nation on sin you've just heard three songs the first of these songs was 50 feet was a song from the barbie movie called barbie dreams and this was by <laughs> korean girl group 50 50 featuring carly and after that we played the rina sawayama remix of the b-side the extensively promoted b-side by les seraphim eve psyche and the blue beard's wife and lastly we played a song by japanese artist iliomote called my super good friend and speaking of super good friends one of our super good friends um Zenia, recently went to japan for quite a long time and in this segment we're going to be asking about how that experience was so Zenia, hi Zenia. yes did you enjoy hi. your experience in japan i did where did you go <laughs> i started in okinawa and then kind of made my way up so the next island north of okinawa which is really just a series of islands, <laughs> is Kyushu. And then went from Kyushu to Shikoku, which is on the east side of Japan, another island. And then went back to the mainland, which is Honshu, and then up to Tokyo. I was traveling for about 38 days. 38 days. That is a long time to spend by yourself in a foreign country. It was. But I did bump into people along the way. And yes, all the traveling isn't too bad. You get to be your own boss and kind of stop and start the day whenever you'd like, go into certain places and change plans on a whim. Yeah, it it has its pros and cons, but it was nice to bump into people and meet up with people as the trip went along. Oh, yeah, because you met up with JP, right? Yes, I did in Kumamoto, where he has been living since, I think, April. How was that? So it was actually, yeah, it's pretty good. I rented a car um, and I drove an hour and 15 minutes on one way to his small little town and the artist village he's staying in and we mainly stayed pretty close to his area because it's close to Mount Astor which is an active volcano and just a few cool sites around like some uh, shrines and some gorge and springs. Yeah, it's, it was a quaint, I suppose, village countryside vibe, lots of rice fields. We couldn't stray too much since I had to make it back to the hotel each night, but it was nice to catch up and see the village and what life is like 
for JP. Yeah, sounds like a very Wait, Zenya. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just very curious because throughout, you know, your travels in Japan and stuff and the times that, you know, JP has showed up in and out virtually to our shows and stuff, he always mentions how there's kind of nothing to do in his area. But for you, <laughs> as somebody who's just there visiting, would you say his statement is true? Yes. for example the places that we went to all of the things that are around his town you need a car and i've heard that at his village cars are kind of limited and you need to sign up to use them so yeah it's pretty much easy to get to all of the attractions around his town uh, within two days and yeah i mean there's like some cool quaint um shrines that were some surprise visits so one of which is one that's just up the road from his village and it was the inspiration for a very short romance film that had me bawling uh, called Hotel oh, yes. which is like Into the Firefly Flight, I believe in English. So yeah, that was a surprise. There was also another shrine about the 30 minute drive away, which if you're a big fan of Japanese mythology, is supposedly where the sun goddess hid herself um, when I think her brother was teasing her or being mean to her or rude to her, who knows? But yeah, that was where she hid and it was a pretty epic cave if I'm a spacer myself. So yeah, there's like some surprise gems around the area. If you had to give some advice to people who wanted to solo travel around the islands like you did, what advice would you give Xenia? Oh, uh, what advice would I give? Have to stop being it depends on your kind of solo travels because I met quite a few people at the hostels I stayed at who like to do it day by day. In the morning, they'll decide, do I want to fly to Taiwan? or take the bullet train to another city and they'll decide pretty much on the day. Um, Whoa! Yeah, yeah, pretty much they'll book their hotel for the night in the morning and then just travel and make it there at some point later on the day. What? Yeah, for those people. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I I was also, like, mind-blown, but I feel... You know, if that works for you, I don't think I can give you advice because that would stress me out. No, you are a planner. Day. No, you, you are a planner. That's one thing I know. But, oh, my God. What else? I think to not be too scared of hanging around with the locals. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, like going, especially on Friday and Saturday night, going to maybe where all the bars are, um, finding a karaoke bar. And, and also even hanging out with some of the people you meet at the hostels is a good way of getting the confidence a little to explore a side of the city you might not be you know, comfortable exploring by yourself or even know about. I, I had a couple of hostel people recommend to me places that I think if they hadn't told me about it, I wouldn't have gone and wouldn't have enjoyed myself so much. So, yeah, I think just sort of be open. For me, who's someone likes to plan things, it's nice to have a bit of spontaneity here and there to make the trip a bit more memorable. No, that's good because I was okay. like, one of my main things, like, I want to live the Xenia, like, main character moment, <laughs> traveling alone type of thing. But, like, the thing that freaks me out a lot is being a, uh, being a young woman traveling in the city or, like, anything <laughs> alone. And I know you, Xenia, specifically, you do know some Japanese, so like that definitely can help when you're like talking with locals and stuff but 
I don't know. I live in the fear that, like, if I talk to a local person just to offer direction, the moment they find out that I'm traveling alone, they will, like, kidnap me, basically. Um, so, I, I don't know. Do, do, do you ever have, like, do you ever have the, any, that sort of fear? And, like, how do you overcome that? Because that's, like, my biggest hurdle. But, yeah. There were, I mean, aside from one incident, everyone's oh. been very... <laughs> been very kind and helpful. I've definitely had a lot more, like ninety five percent more positive experiences with you know strangers and in terms of asking for directions and asking for help. I think when you're a solo traveler, there's always, especially if you're going to the more touristy spots, there's a lot of tourist centers, a lot of station staff tend to be able to help you. There's a lot of support, even if you don't speak the language. Japan's a great place in terms of solo traveling. It's definitely immersive enough where, you know, not a lot of people know English, but is still catered to tourists well enough that you can get by um, if you get lost or if you, you know, miss your flight, something like that. So in terms of the fears, it's more hoping for the best, but you know, preparing for the worst. In the hostels, there's still like lockers that you can put your stuff in. So even though Japan has very, very low theft rate, still good to make use of them because you never know. It might be that one person who decides to steal your things. Um, in terms of people wanting to kidnap you, I think most of the Japanese people I met either, they have one of two reactions in terms of chatting to foreigners. They either get really shy and embarrassed that they can't speak much English or they will, they're damn hardest to try and help you even though they can't speak English. So it's, yeah, honestly, yeah, there's not too many in terms of creeps. And I guess like you would in Australia, if you avoid being out at night at around 11 p.m. on a Friday or Saturday night where there's a lot of drunk people, I think you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, most of the time it's, it's very, very safe, very um, accommodating. And I think those initial fears fade, especially as you meet a lot of, people at the hostels and you realize that all of these other girls staying in the female dormitory are solo traveling as well. So you find that there's actually a lot of support and a lot of um, people also following that makes it as if you're not alone and that there's actually a, a network of people who can support you if you have any questions about that sort of traveling. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed going behind the curtain on a little bit of the holiday. Uh, if you're interested in going to Japan, you can always let us know on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we're going to play a song by Misumo, which is a twice Japanese subunit, uh, and a song from their B-side, which yeah, I guess if you know anything about our Asian combination segues, it's called Behind the Curtain. So catch you on the other side. This is Asian Pop Nation on Sin. The song you've just heard is Ji Shui by Taiwanese artist Wen Jingyao. She also just goes by Yao in English. Before that, you heard two songs by two K-pop subunits. The first of these was Twice subunit Misa Mo with the song Behind the Curtain. And after that, you heard Shounu and Hyungwon from Monster X with their song Love Me A Little. Now, speaking of K-pop, recently Rolling Stone has released a list called the 100 Greatest Songs in the History of Korean Pop Music, which is a very uh, bold statement to make that they have managed to amass 
the 100 greatest songs in the history of Korean pop music. But yes, this is a list that Rolling Stone did in collaboration with American and Korean music critics. In their introduction paragraphs, they kind of frame it as the history of Korean pop music and how that led to modern day K-pop, which is, I guess, interesting because I think modern K-pop is not the same as modern Korean pop. Like there is Korean pop that isn't like idol pop. And they kind of conflate the two in this, but we'll get to our quibbles with this list later. I was really happy to see that a lot of the songs that I played during my... I did a seasonal show on, like, the history of Korean indie music. And a lot of the songs I had played during that show appear on this list. There's stuff from this from, like, the 60s. Stuff by Shin Jung-hyun, the godfather of, like, Korean psych rock, all the way through to stuff that was released last year, like New Jeans and Ditto. It definitely covers a wide range, and as such, it's kind of impossible to come up with, like, a good list that will satisfy everyone. Salisha and I have looked over this list, and I think Ethan has as well. And I guess we just wanted to shout out, you know, which of the songs we really agree with. And maybe afterwards we can talk about how we feel like this list could be improved on. Coming in at number 100 (laughs) is... Obviously, we're not going to go through all 100 songs. um, But I think having a brief look through all the songs, I get the vibe that they're going through in terms of like the most influential as opposed to like ne- not necessarily the greatest of all times. Yes. I don't know if that's what you the vibe you got with that. That was like, 100% the vibe I got with that. Because there are a lot of songs that were near the top that I felt like we're weren't the greatest of all time, but definitely would have a lot of cultural significance, I think. Yeah, I, I also think so. But, you know, as we said, we want to start off with the positives of this list first, maybe. I still think that there are some songs that I'm very happy to see on this list. Um, first of all, Pentagon's Shine. <laughs> Pentagon's Shine <laughs> is on this list. It's in the 90s. It's very low, but it's still on this list. I think if they were to make an analogous list, but in like Korea by a Korean music publication there is no hope in hell that pentagon would make it onto that list so i'm just happy that it made it onto this list i also would say mamamoo's delkakomani is on this list i'm really happy with that because i think that's their best title track as opposed to like their most popular track which is probably hip or you know starry night or whatever i was really surprised to see infinite the chaser as well i know nothing about the group or like yes. any of their other songs, unfortunately. But that was like the one song that I knew pre-being a K-pop fan. I thought that was such a good song and that was such a blast from the past to see that pop up in the list. I don't know, was there any surprises in there, Leisha, that you were happy to see? For me, it's definitely in the same vein as how like Tracy felt when she saw Pentagon on the list. But seeing Monster X <laughs> with their song Drama Rama on the list at number 74... Do I think it's their best title track, in my opinion? No, but I do know this song was their one really, really popular song in the Korean music scene at the time, and it did get them their first win in music shows. So I'm just happy it was there. That was like a nice, pleasant surprise for me. Probably the only one that gives me joy because everything else kind of makes it go a bit insane as I'm looking through it, but we'll go to the negatives later. Oh, Orange Caramel's Catalena. I'm so happy that it's on this list because it's a song that definitely is really influential in how people always use it as like a touchstone for like what concepts can be like in K-pop. I think that was definitely like one of the peaks of like the weird K-pop aesthetic. Yeah, one of my other favorite songs on the list, which is very iconic, but I think people might not know about is Finkel's uh, To My Boyfriend, which I really love. I think it's one of my favorite songs in terms of like old K-pop. And I'm really glad that it was on that list. Another one that just surprised me 
because to me this group is like they have a dedicated fan base but like not big big enough to be put in like lists such as for Bowling Stone I was very happy that Vix's Shangri-La was in mm. the list it's down at 98 but I'm just happy they're even acknowledged and Shangri-La to me is one of their like best title tracks the fan choreography oh mm. my god I just love it so much I don't know about you guys, like, I'm not so fussed about the selections in particular. Like, I think the 100 songs are fine. Personally, for me, I am I think I have more of a problem with the ranking. Oh, yeah, the ranking is a mess. It's, it's, it's a lot easier to see this list and go, how is this song higher than that song? Yeah, I don't know. What yeah, do why is that? Ditto so high? <laughs> is this Ditto slander? <laughs> why is Ditto number 19? Why is Ditto at number 19 and Anti-Fragile is much lower at 79? Yeah, like, seeing a lot of fourth-gen songs is, like, surprising, but also kind of eye-opening in terms of, like, okay, this is a new generation of K-pop now. So, you know, like, when we see, like, an Espa or, like, a Le Seraphim, it's just, like, this is history. We're living it. <laughs> We're living it. Rolling living Stones history. write about yeah. Ergo, which is history, they not just something history. that we dreamed up in our feverish fan spaces. I, I do agree, though, that, again, with like the addition of quite a lot, a lot more than I was expecting of like fourth gen groups and stuff being put on this list, I do mm-hmm. kind of think there's a little bit of recency bias mm-hmm. with this list. Mm-hmm. Purely, especially when I see, uh, and I'm sorry to do dudes, but ditto especially. And this is where I have the issue with the whole ranking thing, because how do we have Growl by EXO down in the 30s, but New Jeans ditto at 20? <laughs> if we're going on the basis of like what we think the list was made out of, of like songs that I guess have a impact in the industry and less of like songs that are I guess objectively just really good to listen to I do think some songs that are much lower in the list have a much bigger impact mm. on the Korean like music industry at the time so it's like so bonkers to me I think Tracy you wrote on the run too specifically as you're talking about like R&B and stuff yeah but thank you to Zion T Hyung Bridge I feel like that should be way higher because to me that song was like everywhere once upon a time ago in 2014. But what do I know? I'm not a music critic, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and he barely made it on the list. Like that's at 95. This list is really strange to me because after like 2000, the only representation you get aside from like Zion T is like idol pop. There's like nothing from like just straight R&B or hip hop or even like indie rock or anything of the sort, despite them having been many super influential artists who are not idols. Like I was really surprised by the fact that Kiha and the Faces doesn't appear on this list at all and neither does the group Xiao Rim. Like... I think if you had made a similar list in Korea, those would definitely be on the list, but they're like absent here. What makes it even weirder is that you have a lot of like indie representation from the 90s, like the first wave of Hongdae acts, like you have Delhi Spice really high up and you have Crying Nut and PP Band, but like there's like a complete drop off as soon as 2000 rolls over. So is it that genuinely no music critics associated with Rolling Stone know about these groups or might have done it based on more of a quota system like, oh, we can assign this many spaces to music release after 2000? I feel like they must have done it that way because otherwise there would have been no way that you just have this huge like gap in your list. Something that I was thinking about was like maybe the reason why that there's just this random gap is like... I don't know, maybe they're almost storytelling way to show how like in the West particularly, Korean music 
is more defined by idol K-pop world now. I don't know if that was the route they're trying to go for, but it's still so bizarre to me because I feel like there's so many solo R&B artists that still have massive popularity in their songs like Dean and whatnot, even though Dean is on permanent hiatus somewhere <laughs> in the world. But yeah. um, Instagram, but, why is yeah, Instagram I... on this list? <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a lot of question marks with this list, but you know, what do we know? We're not working at Rolling Stones. But I guess this list is meant to be more of a jumping point for people who might be unaware of Korean pop music, especially historical pop music, like Kim Jong-un's hairnim. Yeah, so those are our thoughts on that Rolling Stone list. We we have a lot of reservations about it, but we also realise that we're just being grumpy, and I think that most people will get a lot out of just a very easily accessible list of Korean, especially historical Korean songs that they don't know that much about. Um, the next song we're going to play is not by a Korean artist at all. This is a song by, I believe, an Australian Taiwanese artist. Her name is Naewon Young, and it features another singer called Jade. This is their song, A Dream of Bonnie and Clyde. Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation. You just listened to Why Do You Love Me by Wallace. And before that, California by Tiffy. And even more before that, A Dream of Bonnie and Clyde by Naiwen Young featuring Jade. So hopefully you were vibing out while listening to these songs. But Lisha, do you know what's not the vibe? What? What is it? So to give you some backstory, um, in our homeland, Malaysia, there is a festival called the Good Vibes Festival, and pretty much this festival is like big. Some of the headliners were the Kid Leroy, uh, the Strokes, and also the 1975. And this festival is supposed to span for three days, and recently it was supposed to be for the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of July. Not only did they have like international artists, they also like- featured a wide variety of local and international acts which were supposed to be heading down to Malaysia to perform and the reason why I'm saying supposed to be dun 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 a lot of not great stuff a lot of not great stuff happening Mm. um no good vibes in the good vibes festival (laughs) basically the tagline that everyone has been saying with what has happened with this festival um, like we mentioned, a lot of acts, like, we're talking big international acts like Sabrina Carpenter, Daniel mm. Caesar, that yeah. both me and Lee are like, oh, like, in Malaysia? Holy, yeah, DPR Live, DPR insane. Live, DPR Ian, Lee High, again, all of you K-poppy people will be screaming, jumping about that. Um, <laughs> and a lot of, like, local Malaysian artists that I have really been obsessed with lately, like, Air Lives, Luna Dira, like, kind Catalog is massive. This festival is deemed like the biggest music festival mm. in Malaysia. It's like their Coachella, pretty much. Yeah, and it's like the climate, I guess, in Malaysia. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the weather climate. Just the situations mm-hmm. um, in Malaysia has made every year a bit harder to run like concerts and music festivals. The government has been doing a big like crackdown about all of that for various reasons that we'll potentially touch on during this segment, but you can do your own homework and research about it. But basically, you just need to know that it's the biggest music festival in Malaysia, and it's also one of like the rare chances that there even is a music festival in Malaysia. So it's very big deal, very popular. 
And yeah, like Lee said, supposed to go for three days, but yep. it was over by the first day. What what by a certain certain headliner. So Lee mentioned again there were two other headliners, but there is one which has notoriously been um taken been taking over the news everywhere right now, and that is the band the 1975, the UK band. Basically, what happened was on the first day of the festival, everything was just running as per usual. And then as headliners would, the 1975 were set to perform at night. And according to a lot of festival goers that were like posting stuff online and things, already the moment that they showed up on stage, um, the lead singer, Maddie Healy, he was particularly quite like rowdy on stage and everything. I don't know if you noticed, Lee, but it was like... He spat, like, on stage. He even destroyed, like, a drone that was being used as, like, official footage for the festival. And apparently he destroyed that, like, right after, like, their first song in performing. So this was already not a good start. Very rocky. And then the big one, which has brought us to where we are today, talking about this whole topic was when he, Maddie Healy specifically, did a very profanity-heavy speech about, um, I guess, particularly criticizing the anti-LGBTQ plus laws in Malaysia, a lot of negative comments about the Malaysian government as well, and then there was also a lot of clips circulating online as well. Whether he was doing it after or before, I'm still not sure, but he also kissed his male bases on stage, and... I recommend the listeners tuning in if you want like full context and stuff to like search it up online exactly what was being said because a lot of it we cannot bring it up on radio so that shows you how um how intense it suddenly got and basically what kind of happened at the end was a they got banned from performing in Malaysia just full stop and then as we've been foreshadowing this entire time the next day so after that Friday incident the Malaysian government did get involved and the festival organizers had to announce that the entire festival was going to be cancelled. And so essentially the day two and day three, like artists that were meant to perform and also like local street food vendors basically left completely stranded. And there were so many stuff posted online of like artists uh, speaking up about how like this set was like the set that they've been prepping for for like months and months on end. It's basically like like useless yeah just gone but yeah so basically that's the whole dealio this is a very big thing to unpack and definitely Lee and myself are not going to be able to cover like every single I guess like comment that we want to say about this whole thing but Lee what are what are your thoughts I don't know like it's so unprofessional and like selfish like he's laying it down like oh but it's not for you but I'm not gonna do anything about it because I'm mad at your country which is so silly because he he was the one or like I guess his like team were the ones who signed the contract that when you come to Malaysia to perform there's certain things that you can and can't do like every single country has this and they signed that contract but then they come and do all this, like, make it make sense. Like, make it make on? sense, literally. That is like, oh, that's the way to put it, isn't it? Because, again, in his whole, like, little speech thing that he's saying, so much talk about claiming that he's, I guess, obstructing the set and whatever, claiming that all the stuff that he's saying is, like, helping the country in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
no, sir. No, it's not. Because it's giving very white savior activism type of mm. thing. And I think for, again, our show does air in Melbourne, in Australia, predominantly white people. And I feel like this is a lesson to, I guess, just think about, especially if you're a white person and you want to speak out about issues that are happening in in Asian countries and in like situations where like minority groups are being oppressed and criminalized in this case specifically the queer community in Malaysia please 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 do your homework because doing stuff like this does not help anyone in general this whole thing has caused like a whole snowball effect where mm. a the actual community that you claim you're helping out, which is the queer community in Malaysia, are put in even more endangerment because I get that doing speeches and stuff like this works very well in like Australia, in the US, in the UK. But that's what like kind of pisses me off about mm. whole like white savior activism is this idea that people like Maddie Healy and I don't care if it's like, ooh, I think it's like good intentions in my heart or whatever. They think speaking up in this manner, like, that works so well in their country will just automatically fix everything in, like, countries like Malaysia. Not the case. Oh my gosh. I implore, like, listeners and stuff to, I, I, oh, I don't know, just take the time to even search up what actual queer Malaysians that are living in Malaysia think about this whole situation, and you will find very quickly that everyone is quite pissed off about this, rightfully so, because it's just causing more endangerment to a demographic that's already being targeted mm-hmm. by, like, the conservative side of Malaysia. And since we are a music show... Let's talk about how badly this does for the music industry (laughs) in Malaysia. And, you know, Lee, I want to pose a little question to you. Somebody, um, you know, a fellow Malaysian girly lives in Melbourne and stuff. How well, I guess, minus the fact that we run like a radio show and stuff together, how well is your knowledge about local Malaysian music? Not very well. I ask you this as just an example of like the fact that the Malaysian music industry is already in big like struggle town for the longest time. Crumbs. Like crumbs. Like local Malaysian acts already struggle so hard to reach their demographic, which is other local Malaysian people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my god, in a festival like this, where this is like the perfect platform to finally share your music and stuff to the audience that you want to, that opportunity is just completely gone now. And because the government already for the longest time have been cracking down on like concerts and performance acts and stuff, they've been having a whole hoo-ha about like Coldplay coming down to Malaysia. That's been a whole thing that, oh, another topic for another day. But basically, (laughs) the music industry and just like the arts, the media industry in Malaysia is like, as Lee said, crumbling. Um, mm-hmm. And there are so many talented people in Malaysia who are keeping it afloat and producing amazing stuff that they don't get the chance like to have their songs like broadcasted and shown because of stuff like this. <sighs> Look at what has happened now. <laughs> Timing of everything is awful as well because in Malaysia, there's like state elections which are mm. happening as well. 
And so definitely this whole situation that just happened because of him, that the government and also the very strong and very large conservative side of Malaysia mm-hmm. to use this story to not only justify their own like to justify discrimination and further like criminalization and like just generally terrible homophobia mm-hmm. um, towards the queer community, but it will... They probably also use this opportunity as a way to promote to have even more punishments and more exclusion. The biggest demographic in Malaysia that is in big danger is the queer community in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And it's very funny. And I say funny, not haha funny, funny weird that in Maddie Healy's <laughs> whole speech, that's the demographic he claims to be helping out. So yep. where you go. I'm scared, basically, <sighs> to conclude this whole segment. Lee, I'm very scared. You just know politics, it's a very scary thing um, Mm. over there. Doesn't work the same as how it works in like Western countries and stuff. So this whole situation, which is caused by the 1975, particularly their lead singer, will for sure have a very bad rippling effect for Mm -hmm. Malaysia for a while. And it really just sucks that at the end of the day, like the band can just... They can just go home. Like, what? Like, literally, think about it, Lee. Like, what are their repercussions? Literally, nothing. But a whole country and a population of the country, which has already been targeted for the longest time, are now gonna just suffer even more. And these guys don't have to do anything. They're just a okay. Like, the guy has been posting on Instagram, like, on his stories, like, no big deal when the whole situation happened. Genuinely, I don't think he knows, nor at this point does he care, which is so... Ew! Because I saw when this news started going around social media and stuff, there were so many 1975 fans that were like, yeah, isn't this great? He spoke up about the anti-LGBTQ plus laws no, in Malaysia. Girlie. Isn't this great? And it's like, no. no. <laughs> Put your fan, little fan cap off for two seconds. Have some critical thinking. No. And it frustrates me that like, when actual Malaysian people are speaking up about how bad this is actually is for the whole country, they just get like shut down by certain people that think they know how the country works when they're not even Malaysian. They don't even, like, know anything. So it's like, not shut up, but also... Quiet like, down. Quiet down, yeah. And um, yeah. Take, take a moment to actually listen to the people who are being affected by this and understand that stuff like this, which may work in Western countries, doesn't work the same in countries like Malaysia. And it's just, oh, oh my God. Oh, I feel like we've been going at this for a long time, but... Yeah. Basically, in conclusion, Lee and myself are enraged. And as Malaysians who don't live in Malaysia anymore, this still kind of scares us a little bit. So I guess listeners tuning in, let us know what you think about this whole situation. Share our social medias, Asia Pop Nation, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And right now, we're going to be playing a song which is actually sung by one of the artists that was meant to perform on the second day of the Good Vibes Festival. And this artist, I have been a fan for quite a while, so it also upsets me even more. Yeah, the aggravation just keeps going. But we're going to be playing this song titled Are You Mine by Malaysian female artist Jai. And this is actually a new single that just came out quite recently. So tune in, listen in, and please support local Malaysian artists. Uh, They need it right now, guys. (laughs) They need all the good vibes. They need all the good vibes. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation. You just listened to Are You Mine by Jay, as well as Frisco by Little Dragon. And bef- and right after that, you heard In Bed or Makuli by Benzino. Um, now, as we wrap out our show for this week, we wanted to talk a bit about something that's happening in Melbourne um, in the month of August. The <laughs> Melbourne International Film Festival is back uh, in August for 2023, and it's got a massive... Um, program. I think I read somewhere that it might be the biggest program yet, which is exciting. Um, so I wanted to mention it because there are quite a lot of uh, films that are made, starring, or you know, presented in an Asian language. Um, and I think because we talked about this last year as well, uh, we could talk about some of the movies that are in MIF that are worth watching and also feature Asian faces. Um, yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have anything to talk about with this first? Leisha, Jesse, Tracy, the listener. <laughs> I mean, I, I know there's the one movie where Zenya's not here. Another another name name dropping, but it's like one that I think it's very highly anticipated in MIF, which is Past Lives, mm. which Ethan probably like a thing or two about. <laughs> yeah, past lives. We've talked about this on a previous segment earlier in the year. Um, you know, starring Celine Song. Now, Past Lives is actually an A twenty four film. Um, so it is American, but it stars a Korean director. Um, about two Korean, uh, how do I say, like childhood friends mm. who could have been lovers, but they grew apart because of life, and then they meet up as adults. You know, with obviously very different lives and different spouses. Um, and it kind of follows this like um. A bit more sentimental look at like love and like what you know what could have been, and I feel like that's a really interesting movie that a lot of us are really excited about. Um, hopefully, you guys are interested in watching that. Yeah, we are. I saw the trailer for it when I was watching Chongqing Express, and it like made me almost tear up because it was so like I think I was just emotional that day, but also it like tugged on my heartstrings real hard. Yeah, I I really love movies, especially I know a lot of Asian movies, like Japanese movies in particular, love talking about like like life and love romance movies, but within the like the angle of like everything about it is like very sentimental and romantic, even if it doesn't work out. And so there is like a kind of romanticization of like the people that kind of impacted our lives. There are a couple others. Actually, there are a lot of other Asian movies um, that are interesting, but I wanted to highlight a couple that I thought were cool that I've written on my little notes app (laughs) on my phone. Everyone might be familiar with the new Koreeda movie Monster. Now, obviously, Koreeda is a massive Japanese director Mm -hmm. um, known for making really sentimental movies about people and family Mm -hmm. life. Stuff like that. I know Tracy. Yes, we... I really like Shoplifters. His mm. movie. I haven't yeah. watched the new one. Was it Broker? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about Broker. Yeah, Broker came out last year. It was also part of the Myth um, uh, program. It was a really good movie featuring Song Kang Ho, Ayu, Beiduna. Great cast. Um, so yeah, I'm obviously very excited to see what Corey Eda has in store. Um, there are a couple others that I wanted to bring up. Um, there was this. Korean horror movie called Sleep, which is by director Jason Yu, who is the protege of one Bong Joon-ho. Um, it is a spooky horror about this young family who is expecting a new child, um, but then, of course, spooky ghosts bump 
they wonder if you know they've brought something else into their house and their lives, which I think is really cool. I'm really excited to hear about that. Although it is on standby, so I don't think I'll be getting <laughs> tickets for that. Um, yeah, there are a couple other ones. Um, in terms of famous Korean directors, we also have Kim Ji Won, who made, who was the director yes. of I Saw the Devil and Tale of Two Sisters, both really big Korean movies. Um, now uh, he's come to myth with the film Cobweb, which. All I'm aware about is it's a movie about a filmmaker who tries to get a film made, but like the production is chaos and chaotic, which sounds like, you know, every filmmaker and media students um, <laughs> living. Test. Yeah, exactly. Life. <laughs> yeah, um, this is the one I had down as the one I wanted to watch as well, because this is also like a historical drama. It's set in the 1970s. And during the 1970s, Korea was under a dictatorship led by Park Chung-hee. This is something I wanted to mention in the Rolling Stone article, because they don't mention this dictatorship and the impact on so many of the songs are impactful because they were came immediately after that dictatorship or whatever. But they didn't mention any of that. In, anyway, but yeah, I'm interested to see how it tackles that, if at all, in that movie um this sort of very tumultuous period of time in korean history speaking about time and you know the world changing there is one movie i also wanted to talk about it's called absence um which is a chinese film um about a person a guy who has come out from jail after 10 years and he tries to find his own place in the world um after it has obviously grown up and moved on without him yeah just like the way he tries to reconnect with the people in his life um, including past lovers or his young daughter um, and trying to find um, his place in all of that. Now, I'm just reading a sentence from the excerpt, uh, uh, the synopsis. Like many in Hainan, Hong is scrambling to find a foothold among the skyscrapers that have drastically altered the landscape over the past decade. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that's quite em- symbolic, sim- emblematic, emblematic, emblematic. I've just put two words together um, for that. Anyway, um, yeah. You know, it's quite emblematic. (laughs) (laughs) Media student. Yeah, so it's quite emblematic of, like, what the movie seems to be about, um, which I'm very interested in seeing. I think a lot of these movies are very sentimental. They tug at your heartstrings about what it means to live um, and to love and to laugh. Um, (laughs) It's the last last segment of the show, guys. Yeah, we're just so... Give us a little bit of time. Yeah, give us... Yeah, give us some slack. Um, but yeah, does anyone have any other things that they want to talk about with Myth? Um, I'm interested in this uh, Chinese documentary called Youth Rackets Spring by a director called Wang Bing, um, which is about a garment factory. But I'm mostly interested in it because last time we watched a documentary for Myth about um, Hmong child brides, and that was actually really, really good. And maybe I want to watch more documentaries this time around. Um, I'm sure if they've been selected for MIF, they must like be, you know, good to watch and interesting. Yeah, I think because last year I I volunteered at MIF, so I saw what felt like a dozen movies at MIF. Yeah. Um, and I think seeing everything from like all these different Asian movies to like um even movies from like the Middle East or you know from like America, um, it was just so interesting to see like how diverse the stories can be and to like, um, yeah, I, I'm just excited to see what this. Uh, new program of Myth has in store. Uh, obviously, it seems like there are a lot of different um, movies and there's something in there for everyone. So I'm sure that if you're looking to get back into the Melbourne, you know, nightlife. I don't know if it's nightlife. nightlife. But the, the Melbourne, like, scene. 
the Melbourne arts and culture scene, MIF is definitely the place to go. Um, it's you know it's got a great program, support movies. And Hell yeah! Yeah. Cinema. Cinema, yeah. Right before we, before we, you know, we're gonna. This is gonna be one, the second last batch of songs we played for tonight. It's gonna be a '90s sort of boy group R&B ballad moment. Um, these songs are both kind of old. They're from June, but I've just been waiting and waiting to put them on the run sheet. Um, you know. So first of all, we have SB19, a Filipino boy group with their song, I Want You. And this song to me sounds a lot like a song that um, Four Town would release. Four Town, the fictional boy group from Turning Red. What do you think? Uh, but yeah, you, you, you know what I mean when, you, when we roll the song. Here is SB19 with I Want You. Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation on Sin. This is your EP, Jesse, and this is the last time you will be hearing from me tonight. Uh, first, I'm going to run down the songs you guys just heard, starting off with I Am You by P1 Harmony. And before that, you guys heard I Want You by SB19. In our show today, you may remember that we talked a bit about Barbie and we gave our thoughts about the Barbie movie. Spoiler free, of course, just for all of you guys who have yet to watch it. We also uh, asked Zenya about her extended holiday in Japan, which she did join us for a couple of segments in the past couple of weeks while she was in Japan. But you'll be hearing about what she did, um, what she liked, and any tips and advice she has for any of you guys interested in traveling solo to Japan. We also gave our thoughts about Rolling Stone's top 100 most influential Korean songs. Um, Tracy, Ethan and Leisha had some real spicy thoughts to share about that. Uh, we also... Leisha uh, <laughs> and Lee also talked about some drama featuring Matt Healy and some things that he did in Malaysia that resulted in the Good Vibes Festival being cancelled for an uncertain amount of time. Um, if Yeah, don't be like Matt Healy, guys. Uh, <laughs> but lastly, we rounded off the show with a very full circle moment by talking about the Melbourne International Film Festival and some of the Asian films that we are excited to see at the festival or to see released officially. Um, but yeah, that was our entire show today. And before we leave you off, we will be playing a few more tracks for you guys, starting off with Bewitched by Lofi. And it is a very Disney-esque song. It is very nostalgic to me. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this last track. This is Asian Pop Nation on Sin, and we hope to see you again next week. Mm-hmm. 